is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit sovereigninsurance.ca to learn more. Diversify. Don't just put all your eggs in one export market, think about what other export markets you could do well at, and EDC will help you figure that out. With Export Development Canada, doing business abroad doesn't need to be risky. We take on the risks so you can think bigger and grow confidently. EDC, take on the world. You're listening to The Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. On the Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality even faster. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community. And subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes for the chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible, and your reviews will help us get there. I'm your host, Gomal Minhas, founder of CoreSpace, your one-stop shop for all things work, wellness, and impact. Visit kaur.space to find out more. I'm also the producer of Dream Girl, the documentary film showcasing the lives of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs that we premiered at the Obama White House. I'm so happy to be here today. Welcome to the show. This is Bonnie Foley Wong, CEO and Chief Investment Innovator at Peak Ventures. I'm thrilled to have British Columbia Trailblazer dedicated to supporting a diverse community of leaders building budding companies in Vancouver on the show today. Bonnie Foley Wong is the founder and CEO of Peak Ventures, a Vancouver-based impact investment and management company. Bonnie helps people make impact investments confidently and in an integrated way. She is an accomplished financier and investor with 20 years experience of mobilizing capital for entrepreneurial businesses. Over the course of her career, she has financed over $1 billion of alternative investments in Europe and North America. 
Before relocating to Vancouver, Bonnie worked in the UK with social entrepreneurs and impact investors, such as Big Issue Invest and Renaissance from 2009 to 20, er, 2011. Before relocating to Vancouver, Bonnie worked in the UK with social entrepreneurs and impact investors, such as Big Issue Invest and Resonance from 2009 to 2011. Bonnie is the author of Integrated Investing, Impact Investing with Head, Heart, Body, and Soul, a guide for making compassionate investment decisions to help create a better world. She is a three-time Quora top writer and has been published in Business Insider, Next Billion, Inc., Forbes, Vancouver Observer, and Huffington Post. Welcome to the Thrive Podcast, Bonnie. Thanks, Komal. Pleasure to be here. You're a total badass. That, I think, is like basically your whole bio in a nutshell. (laughs) Um, Thank you. (laughs) Yes, yes. In the best, in the most complimentary of ways. (laughs) Um, I honestly don't think of myself that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when I think it's like whenever a bio is read or like we have an opportunity to reflect on everything we've accomplished, I feel like sometimes we're like, right, like that is me. And I find that really, really inspiring when I was reading all of your accomplishments. So um, my first question is, I love a great origin stories. Um, so what inspired you to get into this line of work, impact investing, investment? Um, what led you onto this path? Mm-hmm. I mean, like most entrepreneurs, like it's been a, a winding journey. Um, and quite frankly, I come from pretty humble beginnings. I'm I'm Canadian, born and bred in Toronto, um, and I grew up in a working class family. So quite frankly, when I was younger, I wouldn't have imagined that this is what I'd be doing. Um, but a lot of my decisions and the the path that I took in my career was was driven by curiosity. And the, the big turning point was an interest in how decisions were made, particularly with money. And and this was a really strange thing because, you know, I, I grew up um, with very humble means and it was through you know, my education and this curiosity about decision making that I ended up in a world of high finance where there were just incredible levels of wealth and money flowing. It was a real culture shock um, to do that. And that was um, when I was in the UK, I ended up in investment banking. I never I never set out to be an investment banker. But again, it was the the curiosity about how decisions were made. And I learned lots. But it was so far removed from how I grew up and I, the values that were instilled upon me by my parents. Like they were, they were just hardworking. They just wanted their children to have an education and get safe, secure jobs so they could provide for their families. Like never in, in my imagination did I think I would end up in this kind of environment. Um, and so after my experience in investment banking and seeing vast amounts of money and capital flowing, I, you know, rediscovered or I guess reconnected with my roots and thought like, there's got to be a better sort of more purposeful way of using this money. Like they're, they're like, how can we use capital to actually create value, create jobs, create, you know, a better place, not just move money around for the sake of moving money around. Um, and it's been a 10 year journey to figure out what that means. And I'm, I'm, you know, still on the journey, but Peak Ventures has been uh, a real critical part to making that a reality. So tell me more about Peak Ventures, if it is, in, and it is this um, 
bringing together of ideologies and experiences and really creating more value um, through your work and through the investment world. What, what does that look like tangibly mm-hmm. um, with, through, through Peak Ventures? Yeah, Peak Ventures is an impact investment uh, management company. And it is the combination of my experience as a financier and an investor. So I've, the better part of my career, I was deploying capital financing entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial businesses. But it it rubbed off on me and I'm an entrepreneur as well. And so 10 years ago, when I thought about, you know, if I was to build a business, if I was to create something new, what would that be? And, And Peak Ventures is that. So I create funds, early stage venture funds, and I serve investors and entrepreneurs. So I'm helping to create financial returns and impact for my investors. And I'm helping... Uh, a diverse community of entrepreneurs access capital so that they can build technologies that have long-term utility and they're building companies that care, connect and protect. Fantastic. And when I love that ethos of care, uh, connect and protect. And are, do you have any examples that stand out for you of, of success stories or, or ones that really just made you sit back and be like, huh, like this is why I do this? Mm-hmm. Well, when I started Peak, um, it was, again, with that aim of moving money more purposefully, as well as investing in leadership diversity. Like, I've grown up in a very male-dominated environment. Um, Oftentimes, I didn't see people like me. I was constantly looking for role models or, you know, the sort of idealized mentor, never quite found... um, the role models or, or mentors that I, I thought would be the, would provide that kind of guidance. And so diversity was really quite core to the founding of peak. And that's resonant throughout in terms of, um, the, the diversity in the investor community that's, that's in the first fund, as well as diversity amongst the companies that we've invested in. And I am focusing on, um, backing women-led companies, but even amongst the portfolio for Peak, like they come from such different backgrounds. um, And some I would say are very impact oriented and we can provide support to help them um, build a more solid business. And then there are other companies in the portfolio that have, you know, really solid business models, financially lucrative, and they're finding their feet in terms of how they can show up in the world and have a more positive impact. And so to give you an example, one of the companies we invested in is Food Mesh, which is a technology that matches buyers and sellers of surplus food. And diverting food waste from landfill has a really, really huge positive impact on uh, CO2 uh, emissions and reversing global warming. Other end of the spectrum is Beanworks, which um, raised their Series B round last fall. And and we've been an investor since 2015, but we've been able to invest in Catherine Dahl's business like through her Series A, through her Series B. Like that business is going to be huge. Um, And one of the things that I was most proud of is when Catherine announced her Series B, in her headline, she actually credited diversity as being a driver for growth. And so there's an, an example where, you know, it's going to be big financially, um, but she's also going to be a leader, you know, to to uh, champion more impactful ways and inclusive ways of doing business. You are just like speaking to my soul. This is uh, very, very um, 
just right on point with my personal ethos mission. And, and it's really incredible to see someone with your investment background and experience and exposure to financial markets and understanding the ins and outs of investment, making this a priority, which I think is something we're seeing more and more of um, in the marketplace. So I really appreciate that this is the value you're living through your life and through your work, um, because I myself am a new investor. And um, a company I invested in really early in a friends and family round a few years ago, IPO'd and it's totally changed my life and my access to wealth and the rooms that I can now be in. Um, but sometimes when I'm in those rooms, I realize that they may be diverse in terms of lots of women at the table because that those are the types of funds and spaces that I try and engage in. But I'm still the only woman of color or one of two or three. And I can really get in my head about, do I belong here? Like, should I even be here? But I see women like you and the work that you're doing and, and that you know the ins and outs of this industry and you're creating space for women like me. So thank you for that. Well, thank, thank you for sharing that, that story because it's, it's important to share stories like that. Um, as I said, you know, in my career, I was looking for role models and there really weren't a lot. And I think that the space is evolving and the, the challenge of diversity and creating communities that are inclusive where people feel like they belong, like that's still ebbing and flowing right now. Um, because like, even in my own experience, um, you know, like you, sometimes I'm in, uh, environments where, it's, it's been designed to be welcoming to women. And I've done that with the fund. I was very intentional in terms of being inclusive. There are men that invest in peak fund, but the vast majority are women. Um, so 32 That's women incredible. have invested in peak fund out, out of 41, 75% of the capitals from women. So the, the dollars are there too. Um, and then in other situations, I'm, I find myself in investor events where, you know, there's a handful of women and it's a room full of 50 men. Sometimes I have felt like I belonged though, mm. because it didn't, it didn't matter whether, you know, it was a man or woman in the conversation. Like we were there as investors and everyone that was there cared and was really interested in like what people were investing in and what kind of impact they wanted to have. And so this, this sense of belonging um, is, is really the goal. And it, it can be kind of elusive sometimes because yeah, like you can have a room where there's parity, where it's 50, 50 men and women and women still not feeling like they belong. If the environment, the culture, the conversations are not actually designed for them and welcoming them. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's something that I'm, I pay close attention to and that I'm actually striving for. Like I want people at the table to feel like they belong, whether they are experienced investors or new investors, because we all bring something valuable to that conversation. New investors have new perspectives around what problems need to be solved and, and what the solutions could look like. That is so valuable. And then equally, like our backgrounds, our experiences um, influence that as well. Like the fact that I grew up in a working class family and was not surrounded by wealth initially and then suddenly ended up in a world of wealth like that shapes how I look at things because I know that wealth comes and goes and it's and it's not 
money isn't really the goal of all this. Mm. It is the impact. It is taking care of people and making sure we all have access to the resources that resources that we need to thrive and be happy. Um, money and profits and, and all these other things just happen to be the measures that we have, but it's not, it's not the, the be all and an end all. It's actually making sure that we take care of people and the planet. It's as simple as that. Mm. I absolutely agree. And I want to dive into this a little bit more of like, how did you, how did you reconcile the vast difference between your upbringing and then the world that you were thrust into when it came to high net worth, wealth, accumulation and investment. That must have been a really jarring juxtaposition to like make sense of in your life. Well, it it took some time to be honest, because at first I was very much focused on the work. I was just interested in, in, um, you know, being more exposed to these kind of transactions. Like I was, I, I was almost pretty naive when I first um, started and got into investment banking. And it was only later, and and there tends to be like a number of things that converge that kind of bring stuff like this to light. So it was a combination of the financial crisis in 2008. Um, it was, 2007 is also when the the term impact investing. Uh, was coined and really took hold. Um, I was going through a career change, leaving investment banking and trying to figure out what to do next. And so I was reading books um, about like the, actually one of the one of the books I remember reading at the time was called Prosperity Without Growth. Right. So um, and I and I was thrust into so I what was more jarring. Um, was leaving investment banking and then suddenly being thrown in an entrepreneurial environment surrounded by people focused on sustainability, social enterprise, and impact investing. Mm. That was probably a more dramatic change because everything else in my career was this sort of gradual progression. Right. And I, I ended up working with some people who were on the bleeding edge of innovation, like way out there with solutions almost like completely disconnected from the current system. Like it was so dramatic. Like these are, these were geniuses, but like they weren't really being listened to or, or, you know, their ideas weren't fully being heard because it was so different from the system that we're in. And it is actually this contrast of seeing high finance, this incredible social activism and innovation and, my 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 approach is to try to find where that medium is because as I said like some of these innovators were so disconnected that their ideas weren't being heard and I feel like we need to do this in a way where um, we can bridge the gap because we can't just isolate ourselves and try to create positive change on our own like this I, I find myself in the middle um, of a lot of things. And I bridge a lot of things because I am in the middle of venture capital, impact investing, um, this whole movement around women's leadership. Uh, and everywhere I go, I try to, I guess, bring a little bit of each of these communities to, to my work. So I, so that we don't end up siloed and, and doing things separately because it's all, it's all interconnected. 
And it's those intersections of our identities that really help us bring more diversity, inclusion, innovation, social change to the table from what I've seen and experienced with the most, you know, successful entrepreneurs to people who I just admire. So like those intersections of your identity really are a big inspiration point, I would feel like for for what the confluence of things that you've created and are bringing together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's walking the walk of diversity. So I, I notice this even at the moment because I'm, I'm, I'm growing Peak Ventures. I'm building a second fund, and the investors that I've shown up for this second fund are all quite different. And so on the one hand, it's like, yay! I, you know, I'm, I'm still living that value of diversity with this fund. In that, you know, there's some people who are newer to impact investing. Um, there's some experienced investors. There are, you know millennials that are kind of figuring stuff out. There's, uh, you know, someone who, well, people who are former CEOs and they're like near, near retirement, essentially. Like it's really neat that it's attracting all these people with different experiences and backgrounds with this common shared goal around, again, like moving money more purposefully, using venture capital to create economic opportunities, you know, trying to leave the world in a better condition than how we found it. It, 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 it introduces some challenges too, because it's like, okay, so there's diversity. So who is this fund for exactly? <laughs> um, and anyhow, it just totally changes the dialogue in terms of like how we, how we build an investor community. How do we, how do we build a community around this fund? Because there is diversity. So it's, you know, it's not, you know, one size fits all. And that can be so confusing and murky because you're like, I need to put this into a box because boxes <laughs> are easier to sell or like easier to, to understand and digest. But it's it's when you're on that edge of innovation and inclusion and all of this, the box has to go out the window. Um, mm-hmm. But when you're when you think back to um, this inspiration to go into the social enterprise, more social innovation space of things, impact investing. What would you say is like at the root of that inspiration and, and the motivation to to be in the social impact space? Yeah, again, it's you know I because because I came from um, a working class family. It's almost like a, a different origin story than some of the other stories that I've heard where. Um, you know, people have been thrown into situations and exposed to abject poverty. And then, you know, then a light bulb went off. For me, it, it really was that complete opposite where I, you know, grew up in a pretty average. In the end, we were middle class, but it's that it, there was a there was like my, my family was almost a poster child for social mobility, where we went from working class to middle class and comfortable. And then leaping into this world where there was so much wealth, but no real, uh, value creation, like, like literally people were just moving money for the sake of moving money. That's really like just seeing that and just seeing the wasted, um, minds and creativity is, is probably what, what, um, propelled me in this other direction of like, we have to be focused on purpose. Um, I also have a very numerate background. So I have this really like funny relationship with measurement and how we measure success. And 
like again I sort of sit in the middle because I I I see all these books and articles around performance measurement and then I read the other books about you know being purpose driven you know Daniel Pink's Drive which talks about purpose mastery and autonomy like there's just this almost conflict in the business world where everything is so data driven yet when we read all these other books about how do we have you know happy lives how do we thrive it's actually it's about purpose and meaning simon sinek start with why like there's so many books that are focused on the 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 purpose drive um and then you know everything else is is after the fact you know kind of measures to see how we're doing but it's not it's that's not the motivation that's not the inspiration and I think just the the proving and having the track record that you can have that triple bottom line, that it doesn't ha- only have to be profit. You can have people planet profit and that those can be driving factors to a very successful in the traditional sense business. But then like you're, you're right, redefining success for ourselves and what those metrics look like and mean to us and coming back to that purpose. So from the here, mm-hmm. I and would, most, and oh, most importantly, how, how success feels. Mm. Because, and, and this is really at the root of a lot of my work. So I'm a huge proponent of integrating analysis, emotion, body, and intuition. So again, in the same, conver- you know, in the same sentence with a business leader or entrepreneur, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll talk about measurement and performance measurement, but they'll also talk about how intuition played an important role in their decisions. They'll talk about how inspiring their team or leading others through, you know, some transformative change and how that feels. Right. And so I'm, I, I'm a huge proponent about bringing that into business and just, you know, again, like making sure that emotions and intuition aren't this separate thing from the business analysis that we do. So when you share this with your peers in a very maybe analytical industry, what has the feedback and response been for you? Uh, it's been mixed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's I would imagine really, so, but in the, in the best really way. Yeah, it's a really neat signal in terms of, you know, who's my tribe, who are my people, who gets this? Um, because some of the conversations, like I, I don't even have to finish a sentence and like, you know, the other person is nodding. It's like, yes. Like (laughs) I actually, I had a conversation, um, with someone a few weeks ago, uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm working on another book, um, loosely around impact measurement, but it's, it's actually, again, about integrating emotion and and intuition and, and these different ways that we assess success or impact. And I, you know, I brought up, I brought up the emotions, an intu- intuitive side of things. And, and the woman that I was speaking with was like, yes, like impact investing needs this. Like that is so interesting. Um, and even earlier on when I first started building peak, I was speaking with a very experienced impact investor. She's, she's American. She's based in Europe now. This was about seven, six, seven years ago. And I, it was one of the first times I introduced you know, in a public setting, you know, this idea of integrating analysis, emotion, body and intuition. And she just looked at me and she was like, wow, like I, I learned something new. She said, I was like, oh, 
Um, and that was so early on for me. It's like, oh, like, does that resonate with you? Like I, you know, most people, you know, think, think it, 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 it's so disconnected from their understanding of business and investing that, you know, there were lots of people who discounted it or dismissed it. And so, yeah, I get, I get a lot of folks who, who nod and get really excited and enthusiastic about, about that idea of, you know, integrating emotion and intuition. Um, and then others get really agitated when I talk <laughs> about it because, because it's totally shaken their foundation where it's like, no, like investment decisions are just analytical. We need to leave emotions out. It's like, well, no, actually, ironically, there is research that shows that emotions drive all intuitions. So I always reference Antonio Damasio, who studied, um, he, he was a neuroscientist and he studied patients that had damage to the part of the brain that affects emotions. And there's a really famous case um, about a patient named Elliot who couldn't, couldn't express emotions, like couldn't process emotions at all. Very logical person, could not make decisions and it ruined his life. Mm. And so, you know, much of this will come out in, in the book that I'm writing. It's tentatively called What Counts. Um, to highlight that actually, you know, one of the reasons why we have the systems that we have is it, it was probably to make decision-making simpler and to say, if profits go up, you'll feel happy. <laughs> um, and you don't have to think about anything else, but investment decisions are actually very complicated, because what if profits, what if you generate your profits from not paying your staff a living wage? Or what if you generate your profits by, you know, pushing the costs of, of environmental remediation on other people? Or actually, you're not even measuring, measuring the damage that you're doing to the planet, that that's not captured in your profit number. Like, it's not, it's not that simple. Like, we have to weigh these different things. And pay attention to how we feel about it. I don't, I don't feel good about slave labor and poor wages when I'm, when I'm purchasing something, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's gotta, that's gotta affect our decisions and it has to affect how we invest so that we move our investment dollars towards, towards company that are companies that are paying people properly and, um, not plundering our natural resources. Absolutely. I really resonate with what you said about um, when we're looking at slave labor and the different costs that go into the products that we buy, the companies that we invest in. I was at a mall yesterday and I don't shop often. It's not my favorite thing to do. Um, But I was in a store and I was looking at one of the labels and it said made in Bangladesh. And I just remember reading about like a lot of the sweatshops in Bangladesh and the working conditions. And I mean, this is something that there is so much significant uh, media coverage on that we hear about what when I was holding that item in the store, it was like, no, like, I don't know if I can consciously buy this product and feed into this. And that's just on a micro, micro standpoint. But to bring it to the micro to bring it to uh, the tangible for the listeners, mm-hmm. I'd love to know, for those who are starting to look at um, making investments and starting investing, um, how would you suggest they go about beginning their investment journey? Um, what, what should they start with? Well, it's got to start with why. Like, why, 
why do you want to invest in the first place? What's the motivation behind that? Um, and connected to that is, is the impact mission. Like what, what kind of impact do you want to see in the world? Because that's going to drive, um, the investment decisions, like how you even take the next step after that. Um, because some people, you know, generating financial returns is still really important. I get that, right? Especially now, um, you know, if jobs are becoming more precarious and, you know, people need to still, you know, have a livelihood and, and you pay for the resources that they need. Right. So like that might be a driving force or maybe, um, maybe they're in a position where they still need some safety and security. And so they can't quite take the risk by investing in a startup, but maybe, you know, it's somebody who is in a position to step into their leadership shoes as an investor. And, you know, they're really, you know, either frustrated or motivated to change how things are in the world so that, um, we can make the planet last a bit longer um, so that we don't have this existential threat. <laughs> so <laughs> climate change is, is, is a huge, it's a, it's a serious issue. And, you know, we need, so we need to start with thinking about, you know, what kind of impact do we want to see in the world? And, you know, what's, what's the why? What's the why of investing? Um, and then there's, there's some other steps after that in terms of, you know, starting with what you know, right? Like if investing is new, don't try to do everything new at once. Like start, start from where you are. Um, and quite a lot of these, these tools I described in my first book in Integrate Investing. It's one of the reasons why I wrote the book because I was meeting people who um, felt motivated to move their investment dollars but didn't know where to start and didn't know how. Fantastic. I know that I will be picking that up and diving into it headfirst. <laughs> um, so on the flip side of this, for startups that are are looking to get in touch with investors in the impact space that are purpose-driven, that are looking to diversify and become more social impact-based, how would you suggest like them meeting uh, investors who are like-minded and um, who would be interested in investing in them. Mm-hmm. So similarly, with start with what you know, like for, for entrepreneurs who are trying to find the right investment partners for their ventures, you have to start with where you are. Uh, and that's starting with your existing network. Um, I also encourage entrepreneurs, there, there's, a, there's a couple of other really key pieces of advice. One is knowing, knowing yourself and knowing your venture. Um, because when you show up to a conversation with an investor, when you, when you start that relationship, you, ha- you have to understand what you're offering, right? So it's, it's knowing, you know, what, what you're looking for an investor, what do you have to offer in that relationship and trying to find a match, right? It's not necessarily about like, um, just catering to what investors need or trying to shape your venture, like what you might read in the media. It's, it's like a self-awareness, um, about you and your venture and what's, um, 
you know, what's important to you? What are your values? Because you're showing up to a conversation where you're trying to find a match. Like, similarly to what I was saying earlier, it's like, you know, showing up to an investor and it's like, are you, are you my people? Like, here's what's important to me. What's important to you? You know, can we work together on this? Um, and then the other key piece of information is for entrepreneurs to think like investors and entrepreneurs are investors because they're the first and biggest investor in their own venture. And so by showing up to a conversation with that investor mindset, you can start to understand like what other investors might be looking for and what's important. Um, and I have found that entrepreneurs that have more and more experience of raising capital or talking to investors actually have that mindset um, and can show up in those conversations on more equal footing, almost like a peer. Mm. And it also changes the dynamic in the ask and in that relationship um, in terms of hierarchical versus peer based. And that conversation can totally change because mm-hmm. we need we need each other. Right. Investors need entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs need investors. And, you know, it's it's really about approaching it, you know, for an entrepreneur not to approach it with cap in hand. Right. You're not begging for money. You're actually saying, here's what I've got to offer. You know, I've invested in this. Here's what I've invested in in building this. You know, would you like to come along and be a part of this as well? Um, and, And going into that conversation with an idea of what's important to an investor because you're already thinking like one. That's really, really great advice. I would love to talk a little bit about um, how you've built your life intentionally. We've talked a lot about how you invest and, and how you've created um, Peak and what the the foundation of that is. But when it comes to your own life, like finance is not an easy industry in terms of this quote unquote work-life balance and how have you created a life for yourself that is doable that you can show up for or for wholeheartedly? What are those foundational things for you when it comes to how you live every day? Mm-hmm. Well, the first, the first bit, like, so this is a work in progress, I'll admit, and it ebbs and flows. It really has depended on uh, where I've been in my career and sort of the stage that life and business are at ever-changing. This last year, um, candidly, has been really hard, in part because I think I've been a bit ambitious and pushed myself. Like, peak is at an inflection point for growth because I am building the second fund. Um, I also happen to be building my family at the same time. (laughs) Uh, And I'm in my 40s, I'll be candid. Like, I, I put it off. I kept thinking, oh, it's not the right time to have kids, not the right time to have kids. It's never the right time to have kids. Um, And so it all kind of happened at once. I started the first fund in the same year I was pregnant with my first daughter. Um, And in fact, Peak Fund launched 25 days before she was born. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's remarkable. Oh, and it was hard. Oh, my gosh. And I went through so much to try to figure out, okay, like, who am I? What am I doing? How do I prioritize? What do I focus on? What do I give my per- myself permission to do or not do? Um, and then, like, after the fun launch, and I was growing that, like, I, like I, I found my groove again. And then I did it all again. And that I had another child last year. 
right in the middle of, um, you know, working on building the second fund. And, uh, and I think with every, with every change I make, I just get a little bit more ambitious and I, I really had to, and I'm still learning, um, really had to learn to prioritize, um, had to learn to slow down sometimes and to give my person myself permission to do that. That's really hard. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Um, and also second time around, I was a little bit smarter in terms of getting the right support around me. Um, and that includes leaning on my husband more and appreciating all that he does. Um, I sometimes don't thank him or appreciate him enough, but that has that made a huge difference as well as friends and colleagues that, um, have, you know, either provided actual support within the business or, you know, have, have been through this as well, like building their own businesses and building their families at the same time, you know, being that understanding ear, being those people who, you know, look me straight in the eye and say like, you got to take a break. Mm. Which <laughs> you gotta is slow like down because the most important thing sometimes to have someone name it for you. They've been there. Mm-hmm. They've been there. And they're like, <laughs> like, you know, don't, you know, don't burn out. And, yeah. you know, and I think for entrepreneurs, for, for people who are ambitiously trying to create positive change, like it's very easy um, to, to push too much into burnout. Um, and if, if, if we don't take care of ourselves, it's, it's like that, it's like the oxygen mask thing, right? Like we got to put the oxygen mask on first before putting it on other people. If we can't sustain ourselves, like how are we ever going to sustain others? So it's a work in progress. Um, (laughs) I think it's a forever work in progress. Like I don't, I, there's no one I've asked this question and they're like, these are your five steps to living your best life. (laughs) So I think we're in community with that. Yeah. Um, in terms of the, and thank you for sharing so candidly. I, I really do appreciate that. Um, in regards to the fund itself, uh, you said you're raising for the second fund. If there are listeners out there who might be interested in investing with Peak, how would they go about doing that? Mm-hmm. Well, best thing to do is reach out to me. Um, there's a way of um, contacting me through the website. Um, there's a section for investors. So peakventures.com forward slash investors. Um, and, you know, happy to have a conversation and, and share with you what, uh, what the focus of the fund is. We're really continuing, um, the focus from the first one, but scaling it considerably, uh, and, you know, focusing on enabling more leadership diversity and using venture capital as a way to create economic opportunities for many. Fantastic. And is there a minimum check size for, for this round? Yes. So it, one of the, one of the, um, uh, challenges that I've been balancing, the first one was very accessible, um, and was a great way to get started. The second fund we're trying to scale considerably, um, right now as I'm, as I'm approaching a first close, the minimum investment is a hundred thousand. Um, we do have investors coming in at a hundred thousand and, and 
250,000. And um, great news is there's an anchor investor for this second fund um, because Peak uh, was selected to participate in the Venture Capital Catalyst Initiative that the Canadian federal government announced um, last year. Congratulations, that's fantastic. Thank you, thanks. Thank you very much. Absolutely. And so the last question I ask all of our guests when they come on the show is, what advice do you have for our listeners for them to thrive in their business and their lives? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I practice what I preach. Um, and so when I'm faced with major decisions, especially ones with a lot of uncertainty, I do sit down and check in with analysis, emotion, body, and intuition. So I ask myself, you know, does this make sense? I ask myself whether I want to do the thing. Um, I try to make decisions when I'm well-rested, you know, well-fed, well, you know, to make sure that my body's in the the best position possible. Um, I do try to maintain a a meditation practice that's, you know, that also takes... um, takes work to do and then with with all that I do check in with what my intuition says and so to I think for people to thrive like we need to check in with these four pieces to make decisions and that's really going to help us make the best decisions for ourselves Thank you so much, Bonnie, for sharing with us today so candidly, so eloquently, and and so passionately about investment and impact investing. And uh, we so appreciate having had you on the show today. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC and Scotiabank, for helping us elevate women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook Resources for Women Entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett. Make sure to visit CoreSpace, K-A-U-R dot space to learn to better integrate work, wellness, and impact into your everyday life. Until next time, I'm Gomal Minhas. It's time to thrive.